see how over 130 other industry experts fared. Number one. <laughs> number one in the industry for picking games, Mr. Justin Bray. Noted. Noted industry expert. I am a noted go industry ahead. expert. I'm gonna, I'm, no, hold on. I'm going to go ahead and retweet that again. I, let, let's just... I'm going to retweet my own retweet here. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I am still Justin. And today we're going to talk about the Dogs' upcoming matchup against the uh, lo- the loveliest village on the Plains, which is sort of like, obviously, it's in South Alabama. It's on a plane. Uh, Auburn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, the, it's where the rain falls mainly. Yeah. Auburn University which is one of the one of those sort of weird backwards Oklahoma places where they insist on university coming before uh, after after the uh, after the noun like when you put the adjective or the descriptor after the noun you're reinforcing the noun and not the descriptor which i think is Ooh, appropriate yeah, yeah. which i think is appropriate for a school that at least at my high school was kind of like the place that you went when you wanted to drink but didn't care about school um I'm looking at you, Carrollton High School. Anyway, so <laughs> tell me more about grammar, Nathan. I never get to hear your, your that that part of you. Well, I mean, so university is obviously it's not an adjective in this sense, but it is acting as a modifier. Um, <laughs> you know, especially if like so, the University of Georgia, Georgia, there is the uh, object of the preposition or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like in the University of Georgia, there's no verb, but like technically of Georgia is probably like a subject complement or object complement, depending on how you're doing it. Um, But anyway, adjectives or descriptors, modifiers of all types, right? Because remember in, in English, there are actually no parts of speech. There are grammatical and lexical concepts. So um, as we've talked about before in your previous grammar lessons. So if you can use a word as, as a part of a lexical concept, it becomes that lexical concept. So, Technically, university or Auburn, neither of those are adjectives, but if we use them in an adjectival sense, they become adjectives. In the same sense that like entire phrases or subordinated subordinated conjunctions can become adjectival in their nature. So um, in general, when you're modifying a noun, if you put the modifier after the noun, you're emphasizing the noun. If you put it before the noun, you're emphasizing the modifier, which is all a long way of saying that Auburn is a high school. So this has been Chapel Bell Curve. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard here today, we're leaving that Outstanding. shit Outstanding. We're leaving that, that was. In. Sometimes I think you just say, like, I know, I know you know what you're saying, but I still wonder sometimes if you actually know what you're saying, because it all sounds right, and I think I followed. I mean... But it was a lot of, it was a lot of circle speak. Like... A lot of talking around in circles. Like, this is the thing that, like grammatically and sort of like linguistically one of the things that's weird to me about the names of um above universities and and like the way they're referred to is always like very fascinating like auburn Mm -hmm. university the implication is that auburn is the adjective like what Mm -hmm. which university is is it oh that's the The auburn Auburn one one. yeah exactly right (laughs) oklahoma university which one is that it's the oklahoma one and, and while we're talking also about lets it, me, is there a university of Auburn somewhere? Now I'm concerned. I don't is there one, so. Is it in Auburn, Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. It, it, it lost its accreditation <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> They've uh, tricked many students. Yeah. 
The uh, the other thing that gets me is when people complain that we always say UGA and not Georgia, but I maintain that that is like linguistically incoherent because until Georgia is the only university in Georgia, it does not make sense to say Georgia and not UGA. It is like concision in all things and specificity in all things. That's how you become a good writer, right? UGA mm-hmm. is a is the first research university in Georgia. Referring to it as Georgia is like a honestly a little egotistical you don't want to claim most of this state let's be real you don't even want to claim the (laughs) university of georgia at certain times right and b Uh it's just like annoyingly like uga i guess has more verbal syllables than georgia does but like a georgia is kind of like a mealy mouth word to begin with especially for those of us with a little south Mm, georgia Mm. yeah and and b uga is it's just more accurate right and it's easier Mm -hmm. to type anyway yeah, now that we've got Nathan's grammar corner out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about this game. Can I tell you? Let me tell you an embarrassing story, actually, about uh, this this exact thing, like Auburn University of, uh, versus University of Auburn. When I was applying to schools the first time around, like 15, 13 years ago at this point, I applied to Athens State University because I didn't think I would get into University of Georgia. Athens State University is in Alabama. <laughs> Athens, ah. Alabama. Ah. <laughs> That's very good. Um, I did get in, but I did not go. Obviously. But at what so cost? We at the cost of your dignity. At what cost? <laughs> My entire dignity. It's all gone. They, Especially uh, at this point, 13 years later. You know, I got into Auburn. And and, and yep. all, all joking aside, like Auburn is a tier one research university. Are they tier one? Hold on. Who can say? Uh, anyway, Auburn is not a horrible university. They have an excellent vet, vet tech program, and that's not me calling them a Caltech college. They really do have one of the better veterinary programs in the in the nation. Good um, for them. But I got into no, they're a tier two um, university, which is not that's not bad. It's just one lower. Um, I I got into to Auburn, and I, I knew I wanted to be in band, and they had a pretty good band. Mm-hmm. And I uh, so I went there for like just a normal like kind of campus visit slash we had a we had a family friend who who work went there and look div- culturally different places are for different people and we'll just say <laughs> auburn auburn alabama is not a great cultural fit for nathan um for like a variety of reasons and it sort of like gave me the bums like i was pretty oh. bummed out like i just when you grow up in a really small town like sometimes on some level other small towns kind of bum you out <laughs> like yeah and so fair. i was like oh this is just carrollton but smaller and with the with the sec school in it and i was and then that was that was the end of that anyway <laughs> so let's actually let's talk, talk about football <laughs> so how so clearly we're we're playing auburn this weekend is yeah, what we're talking about right i am now 30 minutes into my recording session and we're gonna Damn. start talking about football so uh, let's talk about the subjective narratives. Do you want to run us down the Winsipedia for this? Yeah, I would love to. I would love to tell you all about the numbers here. So, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Georgia Auburn. Uh, Georgia is winning this matchup, sixty to fifty-six. There are eight ties between the two of them. Georgia has won the last three. Um, so it looks pretty good so far. Auburn, uh, Auburn has only victory. Auburn's only won this game five times in the last eighteen years. Oh yeah, here, that feels there. good. Yeah, it does. That feels real good. As far as the dynasties go of these two uh, programs, 
you know, they both won two national championships. Georgia's all-time record is a little bit higher at 832-425 to Auburn's 777-445. They have one more Heisman winner than we do, but we don't really count Cam Newton just because it's, I don't know. I don't really know. Other than that, though, it's a pretty evenly matched matchup. It's, I mean, we'll talk more about the stats of this whole thing and kind of see, you know, what we think about it. But in recent memory, Auburn has just kind of been, I feel very much the, you know, the the sibling, little sibling to the bigger programs in the SEC West. They've kind of, you know, the folks want to go to Alabama. We know, we get it. Uh, folks want to go to LSU now, whatever. And then Georgia's over there in the East, just a few hours away. And so they're kind of sucking up a lot of the talent in the Southeastern region. So they've kind of, I imagine they've suffered from that at least a little bit, but. Well, yeah, you know, there was a long time and I mean, we, we can talk about when this, this game is played in a second, but if you look at the sort of like bar chart on Winsipedia, there was a whole section in there between the seventies, like between, and you know, 1977 and 1992, where mm-hmm. Auburn was just pretty much like UGA's daddy and just like was winning mm-hmm. like uh, most games by pretty, pretty comfortable margin. Um, UGA has made it, you know, like you said, like Alabama has Alabama's rise, re-rise to prominence has definitely affected Auburn, I think, in a pretty, pretty objective way. But I, I also think this game to me has always been sort of like the definition of a Georgia game. It's a game I always look forward to because of when it usually happens, because I sort of low key hate Auburn fans. Like I'm friends with a lot of Auburn fans, so I like the ones that I know, but just as a general mass, I don't um don't particularly like their brand of existence. Um, ilk. Yeah, I mean, I know a particular lot of particular brand of existence. I know a lot of people who went to my high school uh, who went to Auburn, and I love a lot of them. They're very good people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of just like, like Auburn is just Alabama, but with like a nicer half jacket zip. Like Auburn mm-hmm. is Alabama, <laughs> but with like they their quarter zip fleece is like newer. You know what I mean? And so like, mm-hmm. despite the pretensions of being sort of like the country club school, which I, I don't know if that's the case, um, they really are just like two Miller high lifes away from throwing a bottle of Jack Daniels at your head. Um, <laughs> but you know, who isn't, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So that's kind of the, the situation with these folks. This is also the first time this game hasn't been played in November since 1936, which it's been like every headline I've seen everywhere. They're like, yeah. that's a big deal. Well, it is a deep, I mean, this is usually the first truly not hot game for the band mm-hmm. i think that's why i love it so much because normally this is the first game where i'm like oh it's not miserable it's it's not yep. like 90 degrees out here um and so i always remember auburn fondly because auburn uh auburn has a very pretty stadium like i would say it's not a super great stadium uh functionally but it is very pretty interior and on the interior and you know usually the auburn game is the game when you first get that sort of like fall twilight glow which i really appreciate like it's very it's a, usually a very beautiful game aesthetically auburn also had a, a bit of a scare last week playing kentucky right it was a it was it was a little slow start they ended up yeah. you know proving themselves handily in the last quarter but you know it, it looked a lot like our game um unfortunately but auburn pulled it through eventually but um and y'all talked at, at length about that with uh georgia and arkansas at least in the preview episode or the review episode excuse me which you should check out and we're going to do another Battle Hymnal episode on Thursday. I'm not sure if this episode is going to go on the, the podcast feed, but Graham and I are we'll going see. to do a, a Battle Hymnal episode. If And if it, like, you know, sounds good and my internet doesn't crap out, um, we're going to break down, like, just Auburn's game from last week. The short, you know, the, the thing, they won 29 to 13. Game's probably actually closer than it looks because 
Kentucky had what should have been a touchdown overturned by refs, and then they threw a pick. Um, so it should have been like probably more like it's more probably like a 24 20 game, um, mm-hmm. if that. And I, so the big takeaway for me was not that, you know, one of the big takeaways I think we saw, speaking of subjective narratives coming into the game, is that, you know, Chad Morris, who was at Arkansas, ironically, Auburn's new offensive coordinator, has really stepped the, um, has stepped forward with the the passing offense for Auburn, mm-hmm. which has been a boogaboo for a long time. Um, and that's certainly true. Bonix was 16 of 27 for 233 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, that's a decent stat line. I don't know. You know, I think uh, by comparison, Stetson Bennett was 20 for 29 for 223, I think. That's off the top mm-hmm. of my head. That could be inaccurate. And one, one touchdown. So, you know, it's a little bit better, a little bit more efficient. Um, I thought the real story was that, you know, they, they had – a slightly more functional passing attack, but I think the sort of beneath the beneath the hood story that should concern Auburn fans is that um, Auburn's top rusher was Bo Nix, who ran for five mm-hmm. times or 35 yards. Second was Sean Shrivers, their actual um, running back, six times for 29 yards. DJ Williams, eight times for 21 yards. Uh, Tank Bigsby, six times for 15 yards. Eli Stove, one time for seven yards. Not a, Not a good rushing day at all. Uh, they did almost all of their damage through the air. Only had one touchdown on the ground, and that was a short one from DJ Williams. I don't think that bodes well for Auburn in the Georgia game because obviously Georgia has mm-hmm. a pretty fearsome defense. Kentucky's defense is quite good, but I don't think it's, uh, it's really the at the level of Georgia's, especially in the defensive front. And also just because uh, Alabama also has a very good defensive front seven this year. And so I would I would be heartened by if I were an Auburn fan by the 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 progress of the passing attack, but ultimately Gus Malzahn's offense, whoever's in control, uh, rotates around the inverted veer action on the inside. That's what he likes to run. And if he's not getting mm-hmm. easy yards with that, the offense historically has not done very well. So I think that's sort of a big, to me, that is, that is a big sort of, I don't know, subjective narrative coming into this game is the progress of the two offenses. I have some more takes mm-hmm. on Georgia's offense going into the, like going forward. We can talk about these later, but um, I, I, I do think if you make Bo Nix one dimensional and you make him throw, he will hurt you. But also the dude's like kind of a statue. And I, I feel that makes me feel better about our chances on Saturday. For sure. I know that there were lots of beat matchups, like um, a lot of our, our corner, there were moments where our corners were getting beat um, against a, you know, just a, an okay Arkansas passing game. But um, I hope that is not the case going into this weekend, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, wit which dimension do we choose to keep Bo Nix in? Is it going to be using his legs? Because it seems like that's what uh, Kentucky tried to do. I think we'd like to, I mean, make him run. But the, mm-hmm. the, the thing, too, is that, like, UGA's defense had some slip-ups, right? Uh, Richard LeCount had a blown coverage on on that wheel mm-hmm. route for the touchdown, which um, was a little bit of a rub route, but he also just didn't know who to take and got ran straight yeah. by. I, I will say, you know, uh, this is a point that, I think that Graham was making on our, on our Sunday show, which is that one of the interesting things is that about that uh, last Saturday's game for Georgia, that kind of is heartening is, you know, Felipe Franks, I would not say is the best quarterback that we're going to face this year. Not the most dangerous with his legs, but in just pure arm talent, Felipe Franks may have the, the biggest arm of anyone will face this year. Now that doesn't mean he's going to do the most, he's done the most damage that will be done against Georgia this year through the air. But Felipe Franks does have a cannon um, and, you know, not a lot of talent around him. And so certainly I don't think that's going to be like 
the hardest it ever gets for Georgia against any offense. But I do think it's interesting to think about like when it comes to downfield passing attacks, I don't know that we're going to have, we're going to face another passing attack that has a dude that can just like rip it quite like he can. I think that ultimately the talent around him is what did him in. Um, I actually kind of think Arkansas might get somebody this year. I think they're probably going to break their now four season long streak without an sec. I'm looking forward to it. And that would make me very happy. So what, do you have any other subjective narratives? I mean, I know there are some, there, there was a big one today. Oh yes. Um, our boy JT, Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> Jonathan Tyler, actually Jonathan Tyler, Tyler Daniels. Uh, he's been cleared, hasn't he? Yeah. He's been cleared to play football. And so we may actually see him play this weekend potentially for the first time since his very first game last year in 2019. So that would be wild. What are the chances? What do you think? What are you hearing? Um, I mean, I think obviously that there is an element of, I think as soon as Kirby said that JT was cleared, he immediately said like, well, he has to earn it in practice. So who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any rational person would tell you that JT Daniels is like the answer at quarterback. I don't think many rational people would tell you that he's going to be Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. I will say uh, what makes me hopeful about it is that I think he is the guy with the highest ceiling in that room. Probably, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to forget, but JT Daniels, despite his lackluster numbers at times at USC, he was, you know, he should have been his senior year, his first year starting at USC operating with a, I would say very bad offensive coordinator. He was a guy that coming out part of the reason he reclassified was that he was one of the highest ranked, uh, high school commits ever. Um, he was mm-hmm. the third guy in that two man race between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And, and I think to some extent, the excitement has to be to me like a floor ceiling thing. Um, I think Stetson Bennett obviously has, he showed when he came in on Saturday, very high floor dude manages the ball. He throws a nice throws throws across the middle very well, has a little zip on his ball, but he's limited in, in his ceiling. Like he, he doesn't throw a great deep ball. He doesn't have a lot of power in his throws. And JT Daniels can't quite run it the way that Stetson Bennett can. He's not quite as uh, agile, but uh, his arm talent is very, very good. He can chuck the ball deep. And, you know, he really came on at the end of his freshman year. And in the first half of his of last year, before he blew out his knee, he had he'd thrown for like 230 yards or whatever in the first half. So I, I certainly it's exciting. You know, whether or not he starts, I don't know. I think just the fact that he's cleared means that whoever starts will have had to have faced him. So at the very mm-hmm. least, it makes me feel better on the aggregate to have him there. Right. You want as much talent to bring to bear on a problem as possible. Right. And he is. I, I have a feeling he's going to start, and I and I think he'll. Obviously, there'll be some cobwebs to knock off, not having seen line at, live mm-hmm. action in a year. But you know the 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 read on him before uh, Newman transferred was that he was splitting snaps with Newman. It seems now that things have been resolved that maybe he was splitting snaps with Newman. Newman left for COVID reasons and because he was worried about a transition into a new offense. And then Dwan got the start basically because he was the one that was cleared. That seems to be the thing, the sort of narrative that makes rational sense to me so but you know uh, we'll never really know <laughs> yeah and, and and we got what we got um i think what rationally matters to me what, what what rationally matters to me about this is just the fact that you know uga has probably its highest upside player ready to go at the most important position on the field not great to play your first live college game in 13 months against uh, uh you know auburn and auburn defense that has lost a lot but it certainly has some players on it owen popo it's a very good player. The couple got a couple of young but you know talented guys on the front of that defense. Um, but I still think is I based on what I saw, and you can look at for more of this on the Battle Hymnal if you want to check it out on the uh, Twitter account and or on the the podcast. Based on what we saw from the sort of schematic uh, philosophy that seemed to be in place on Saturday against Arkansas, 
I think that JT is a very good fit for this offense. If you want to see more, you can go watch the Battle Hymnal. But long story short, a lot of what UGA ran was sort of vintage air raid stuff that he's been running with Graham Harrell last year. And that he was running, you know, coming into USC's season, I guess for like six months probably before he got hurt. So I feel pretty good about it. How are you feeling? Other than the fact that he has a great name. No, I mean, I'm pretty pumped. I mean, I think it's pretty neat to go back and look. Uh, I was just looking at the 2018 football recruits and everything. And I mean, to think that he was 16th in that class and we snagged who we snagged. I mean, we got Justin Fields that year, of course. We still have Samir White, Jamari Sawyer, Tyson Campbell, like Adam Anderson. The list goes on of the folks that are still kind of hanging around and just how good that class was. And it's neat to have all kind of together, um, at least as far as like a subjective narrative goes. Uh, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. That's kind of how I felt about the offense this entire year um, going into this season. It's kind of like, what can happen? Sky's the limit because we have no idea what's going to happen. And, and that was what was super exciting about this game. Uh, we were sitting on the Discord and everybody was talking and we were seeing things we've, we've honestly never seen this team do. And that was super, super exciting. And I, I imagine that because JT Daniels has been hanging around and he's transferred over and he's been practicing and, uh, you know, reports say that he was competing for that number one spot against Jamie Newman, that feels like he is responding well to the schematics change. And so I'm excited to see what happens when, you know, a fully, uh, like 100% healthy JT Daniels can do with all the changes that have happened. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Do you want to talk a little bit about... uh, how drunk the FPI rankings still are. <laughs> yeah. They're a little bit less drunk now. Like things are kind of evening out, which is nice, but Ohio State is still on top. <laughs> um, as you can imagine, we're, we're still sitting with Ohio hey, State, Alabama, Clemson. We, What's up? Can we pause? Sure. Did you know that you are the number one ranked expert picker on tally site right now? I'm out of a hundred, out of 130 industry experts. You have the highest win percentage. <laughs> I'm not. You have a 76%, a 76-point IQ, 67% uh, uh, correct picking. And that is out of the entire SB, SB Nation Sports Network. See how over 130 other industry experts fared. Number one. <laughs> number one in the industry for picking games, Mr. Justin Bray. Noted. Noted industry expert. I am a noted go industry ahead. expert. I'm gonna, I'm, no, hold on. I'm going to go ahead and retweet that again. let's just i'm gonna retweet my own retweet here all right sorry (laughs) i just i just lots of capitals noted industry experts nathan lawrence and justin bray (laughs) so you are currently hold on you are 79 and 36 right now and i am i have not picked quite as many i am 53 and 27 65 percent oh man now i'm taking this shit serious I'm, God, I'm so excited! I don't think this is the most excited about I've been about anything in weeks. I don't know why I'm so. That's the that's the best thing that's happened to me all day. That's yeah, hilarious. dude, hold on. That's I gotta, so I gotta, funny to me. I have to retweet this on like I have to put this on every form of social media that exists. I'm really glad that we got to do this live. Yeah, so FBI is getting a little. It, it makes a little bit more sense at this point. And really, we don't really use FPI that much. But in this in this time of uh, stats drought, you know, we we do what we can. But the thing is, uh, what's pretty upsetting: the Georgia's win out percentage at this point is 1.4. Um, we're projected to win 7.8 games and lose 2.7 at this point. Um, the folks that we're, we're most afraid of, of losing to Alabama, they're projected 1.3 losses to somebody out there. Um, could be us. You never know. And, uh, Auburn's a 2.6 loss. I mean, those are the ones that I'm kind of 
most concerned about. Uh, Georgia and Auburn are sitting right next to each other at six and seven in the FPI rankings. But what do they have Florida at? They have Florida. <laughs> Florida was actually the big winner this week. I felt um, they went up two spots. They're at eight point three and two point two uh, wins and losses. They have a three point two win percent uh, win out percentage, fifty six percent chance to win the division to our forty one point eight. So they're still. Most likely, you know, according to this, whatever this, this stats conglomerate is, um, they're on their way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. This we'll is a good, this is a good example. I think this is a good example about like what small sample set can do to you. Um, we already mm-hmm. are have, we already at the best of times, this is a small sample set sport. You don't have a lot of data to go on. Um, and yeah. the fact that none, no one is. The fact that no one is going to play 12 games this year, I don't means that it actually is even worse, right? So it like mm-hmm. big statistical aggregates that don't incorporate uh, preseason like baselines, which I don't think FPI has much from the preseason. Uh, those are always going to be more affected and more variable by like week to week inputs. And oh, when yeah. you only it's have be 10, wild for a little while, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to be wild the whole season because like when you only have 10 mm-hmm. inputs instead of like a preseason and then 12 games, you're gonna Doesn't you're gonna much. yeah you're gonna spit out some pretty wild. For the efficiencies, though, for these two teams, uh, overall efficiency for Georgia is 87.8. For Auburn, is 75.8. That's effective uh, ninth and 13th ranks. Um, Our offense is sitting at 35.8 to their, (laughs) that's offense efficiency, to their 74.7, which feels bad. But that's probably just because, like you were saying, it's skewed pretty heavily after this game uh, this past weekend. And our offense was not super efficient last year either. As we all know, it was all on the defense, which our defense is still sitting at second um, on both special teams and defense do you, you know, see who, have, who they have who they have uh defense uh as number one the byu oh, cougs the, the baby. byu cougars baby if you look at uh, cougars aren't messing around I, I i'm assuming that we're we're transitioning into stats that matter right now oh yeah for sure um, and i actually have some efficiency stats from our good friend josh hancher over at uh dog stats and co-host of good friend the and battle co-host hymnal. of the battle hymnal so do you want to go over those or do you want to talk about uh pff grades real quick no hit me with them hit me with those those stats a couple of things i think are interesting is that the big takeaway i get from uj's offensive stats on saturday is that a this is a team that is as advertised defensively it's probably one of probably in the top two if not best defense in the nation can run sort of from top to bottom is very athletic plays good assignment football until they don't um but you know hey richard lecount made up for it um and just has a I think probably the best defensive front that Kirby Smart has ever had, including his time at Alabama. We saw Jalen Carter just destroy a guy on Saturday. We saw Adam Anderson have a couple of really nice plays. Nolan Smith, a guy who I really like, who is a new uh, patron, who Nick Toomey. Sorry. So Nick Toomey, who is a patron and a guy that I've been talking with on Twitter and has some really awesome, interesting football takes, was talking about how like Nolan Smith on Saturday just was absolutely destroying people. And so defensively, I feel pretty good. And I think that, you know, if you look at what dog stats has given us, what Josh has given us, that sort of is borne out by the stats. UGA is after one week of SEC play at the top of, if not the number one in pretty much every category defensively in the SEC. If we look at uh, like basic defensive metrics, UGA was first in success rate, which is like efficiency, uh, first in defensive explosiveness prevented. Uh, second and defensive EPA, which is like each play by an estimated of points allowed by the defense, basically. 
Uh, and UJ was th- only, th- only one of three defenses that held their opponents to negative defensive EPA overall. Um, UJ was second in defensive total EPA uh, behind Texas A&M, who absolutely stifled Vanderbilt. Go figure. And so defensively, mm-hmm. I feel like the stats so far this season pretty much bear out exactly what we thought they would. Uh, UJ is very good on defense. Offensively, different story. UGA was in, you know, the middle of the pack offensive explosiveness was fourth from the bottom in success rate, was third from the bottom in total EPA, and was third from the bottom in offensive EPA. So offensively, and EPA is a measure of just like how many points are you contributing per play on a per play basis. It's sort of like a a nice uh, combination of it's a it's a good all rounder stat. It's a nice combination of efficiency and explosiveness. It, it basically tells you it shows how successful you are at any given play. So that's worrying. You know, I will say that, and this is also from Josh over at Dog Stats, who you should be following if you're not. Um, that UGA was sort of like just a slightly below average middle of the pack offense in the SEC when Stetson Bennett was in the in the game. Uh, success rate went up to fifty percent. Explosiveness up to one point three. And total EPA up to 15, um, EPA average up to 0.3 positive. So, you know, that still puts you in the middle of the pack and at the bottom of the winning SEC teams from the weekend. But that is a little bit less worrying um, and sort of goes into what I think about this. I think that like that, the core of that, that UGA goes from a very bad offense to just sort of an okay offense, a little bit below Mm -hmm. average offense with Stetson at the helm is sort of the core of what I think about this this team going forward. We can talk about that, that when we get into our predictions. Speaking of Stetson, didn't you have something on Stetson Bennett? This is actually something, um, speaking of, of co-hosts, this was something that uh, Graham actually posted. He he found the the QB rankings and everything from after this 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 weekend was, uh, you know, factored in. And Stetson Bennett is sitting right there with Kyle Trask, which is pretty exciting. Uh, a, you know, the quarterback that everyone has lauded as like the second coming of Felipe Franks, essentially. Uh, who was also supposed to be the Florida Jesus. Now Kyle Trask is Florida Jesus, you know. Scored six touchdowns over the weekend, and Stetson did just what Stetson does. He's kind of a Band-Aid. He's always been a a good, solid Band-Aid. That's something that, you know, people trust him in the position. Uh, That's something that players have been saying since he has been uh, with the Georgia team since, like, 2013 or whatever. (laughs) I'm joking. He's, He's been around for quite some time, left, came back, and when he came back, people were super pumped because he is such a solid, consistent, player and so uh it's pretty great to see those numbers there and that's going to be the narrative i feel like all season is just can georgia beat florida can florida really keep it up and like really come out on top because yeah um, you've been saying it too like people people like to see you know the big ones fall they like to see how hard they fall um it's exciting so well we'll see what happens so pff grades are subjective grades of Mm -hmm. players on a play-by-play basis so you know, Stetson coming in right under um, Kyle Trask is more is it's a way to like grade individual players without looking at their raw stats. Right. So obviously mm-hmm. Trask had a better day than Stetson did in terms of stats, but, you know, adjust for situation on a play by play basis and they've rated him similarly. You know, I don't yeah. know PFF really great product in um, in the NFL. I think maybe probably like a slightly less great product in college football. Not bad, but mm-hmm. cer- certainly. But but I also think Stetson was probably better than his stat. I, I think that the overall point that Stetson was better than his, his stat line uh, indicated is absolutely true. And I also think yeah. that, like, uh, kind of the trolley point that Graham was getting out with this was that, like, hey, like, 
Kyle Trask played one game against Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss's offense, like our defense, what does that tell you? Um, mm-hmm. Those are those are two things that make me feel better going forward because I, I don't yeah. think that Stetson is going to start most of the games this season, but having him is really great. Yeah, it is, it is pretty neat. It's good to know that there's somebody back there uh, that can kind of just kind of fill in while we're we're trying to get through. That's <laughs> what it seems like. Um, okay. So yeah, it's pretty great. Can we? Can I give mm-hmm. you one? Can I give you one more note on EPA before we want, we we run through these uh, next couple of stats that Please. i wanted to go yeah. over hit me with them yeah so uh josh has just chimed in to tell us that actually our our um offensive team epa uh was net five was net was was five of the fifth out of the seven winning teams this weekend um so with stetson at the helm we are i guess a slightly above average offense by epa uh defensive net has less variance um you know so offensive that can change a lot, um, especially if we have a good game from, so, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. and I, what I saw on Saturday, and I guess we can use this sort of to set up our, our next, um, yeah. EPA to be clear is expected points added. EPA is just a way to, to measure on a play by play basis. How many points are you adding on each play? So if you add all of that up and you end up with total EPA or net EPA, which is, uh, I think offense minus defense, then you have a good, you have a good chance of like basically determining on a play by play basis, how efficient slash explosive is this team? Not just, are they successful? Yes or no, but how successful are they? Right. It kind of fills in a Mm -hmm. gap that success rate leaves, which is that, you know, if you run on first and 10, a five yard run on first and 10 is the same as a 30 yard run on first and 10 right in terms of success rate so epa gives you a little bit more of a like um a window into not just how are they successful how successful are they um but what i saw out of the offense on saturday and i think you you referenced this earlier was just you know some uh especially route tree combinations and play concepts that we've never seen out of a uga offense ever um and that really made me feel good i thought that when we were executing at a level that we should be executing at as a team as good as we are, that the offense looked pretty good. I thought that there were some really well drawn up plays. We can go, you if you want to see more, a deeper kind of deep dive into this, you can watch our Battle Hymnals uh, episode on it. Uh, the two sort of like numbers I took away from that is that uh, UGA is like stuck in the middle of the country in rush rate, right? I think it's in the 40s, I think 45% or something of plays run that were rushes. Mm-hmm. Uh, UGA has been in the top 10 nationally in that basically every year since Kirby, Kirby came in. So we're not running the ball when we shouldn't be. Um, also, UGA is in the top 30 uh, slash top 20, depending on how you uh, calculate it, of plays run. So the pace is up and we are running fewer rush plays. We are rushing less and we are we are having more plays. We, we had, I think, depending on how you count either 89 or 92 plays, which was the most of any team who played their first game on Saturday. Now, some of that was because of the offense not doing very well in the first half, but I still think that 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 is a sign of how, even if the results don't necessarily reflect it, that the process and the input in this UGA offense is much, is much different than it was last year. And I think ultimately that there is some misevaluation of this UGA offense going on. I think that um, not a lot of people watch this game and not a lot of people understand how it was, how much UJ's offense was affected by penalties in the first half and how, how much Dewan Mathis just frankly didn't look ready. Um, I think that that those EPA numbers within without Stetson do a good job of identifying that certainly UJ's offense has a ways to go, but that it is not necessarily an unrepairable train wreck. I think this offense is pretty much, I think the same thing about this team that I thought, 
before the game, which is that if the offense gets it together, that they can go to the CFP. And if it doesn't, that they'll win between one and, or they'll lose between one and three games and still probably compete for the East. And I still sort of think that I might think that maybe that number of games lost is between two and three is and instead of one and three. Um, but I, I basically think that the ceiling is just what the quarterback position can give us. And so, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, where, where are you at and to kind of roll us into things we want to see, like, where are you at on this offense right now? Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've said plenty of it earlier. Uh, I, I just kind of want to see a whole game of uh, somebody at the helm that is ready to, to run it. And I think if that's JT Daniels, great. I was hoping it would be Jamie Newman. Not necessarily the case. Um, Dewan, I thought Dewan Mathis looked really great until he got the mess knocked out of him. Um, and I said this on the Discord over over the weekend. It's like, I think that's probably the hardest he's been hit in years since right. he hasn't right. played a real uh, a live game snap since probably the end of high school. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably pretty jarring. It put him right back in there. Um, some folks were saying, like, oh, he's got a concussion. Maybe. Who knows? Who can say? Uh, but... I don't want to get hit that hard, but as far as the offense goes, I, I do just want to see a complete game and see what it's actually capable of doing. Um, we saw a lot of new things. We'll continue to see a lot of new things. I'm sure. Um, as we do each year, as the, the teams, you know, continue to progress, I don't know how fancy we'll get, uh, just because it is a shorter season. Um, just 10 games. We had less of a preseason too. So who knows what the ceiling for this year looks like, but it looked pretty exciting. It looked very different. Um, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I'm just excited to see what a healthy JT Daniels can do if he truly was competing for the number one spot against Jamie Newman. Yeah. Same. Well, what do you want to see this weekend? Let's transition into doing some predictions. Yeah. Um, I would like to see, we talked about it at the very beginning, just a touch. Um, I want to see us do something with Bo Nix. I, I hope that we make him more one-dimensional than uh, in a similar way that Kentucky did. You know, they, they made him throw, um, but that makes me a little bit nervous uh, just from our, our, our performance against Arkansas. Um, if that was a better team, I feel like it would have been, it would have looked very different going into halftime had it been a team with a more competent offense. Um, and we'd have been a much worse position. Uh, maybe we still would have won. I don't know, but maybe it would have gotten to the point where we might not have got ahead. So I'm hoping that we can make him one dimensional. And if it has to be that we make him throw that we make him make mistakes. And so I'm looking for either some picks or some sacks I'm hoping for, but, um, those are none of my over-unders. One of my, my, my first over-under is actually going to be, uh, does Bo Nix run less than 25 and a half yards? Wow. Okay. Do you want me to answer that? Or is that just like part of what you want to see? That's what I want to see. Yeah, but I'm, I'm hopping right into over-unders. Oh, um, I would take under, uh, 25 and a half yards. Oh, Jesus. I think you're going for 36. Yeah, I'm going to take weekend. under cause I think we have a better, I think a, that they will lean into the passing game and try to push mm-hmm. us. And I think that we had a, a couple of coverage lapses and just mental mistakes and they'll try to exploit those, exploit those in the way Arkansas couldn't Kirby, I think actually mm-hmm. said that in his press availability today that, you know, there were some, um, some mental mistakes in the secondary that didn't get exploited. So yeah, I, I'm going to yeah. take under there. And that, you know, do you think that we're going to open this game with them trying to establish the run game and then move to the passing game? Or do you think they're going to try to reverse it and start? I think know, they're going to throw it all over the field, or at least mm-hmm. if I was playing this Georgia team, that's what I would do. Because I think 
that you're not going to establish the run in the dumb old school philosophical way that people want to. Um, yeah. If you're going to get any run plays, I think it's going to be misdirections or plays that are functionally run plays like, you know, swing passes and jet sweeps and stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that this is going to be like a game where Malzahn can afford to just like run inverted veer on the inside like 30 times because I just don't. You know, UGA at this point over the past two years has a pr- pretty proven track record of shutting down the run. I would be kind of shocked if they didn't. And I think if you're Auburn, you would be stupid to plan like that you can change that when, you know, you didn't have a lot of success against Georgia running the ball last year either. My first over-under has to do with just like UGA's confidence, competence on offense overall. Uh, this is, a, I think, an eight-point line and a 43-and-a-half-point over-under. So that's like a, that's like a you know, 24-18 game or something or like... 24 17 or something like that i don't i don't know what the actual number is but so i want to i want to see coming into this game just a replacement level offense like just an average offense i feel like an average offense against a auburn defense that is very talented but very young and replacing a lot on the front i feel like an average offense against this team can score 24 points so i guess Mm -hmm. my first over under relates to that which is over under 43 and a half points scored total that's the that's the over under total for this game as mm-hmm. of Monday. At- I think that'll happen. That seems low. You can yeah. say over. I would I would definitely say over. I I hate to agree, but I I think that this UGA offense is I would I think that right now there's a market inefficiency in how people are evaluating this UGA offense. I don't think this UGA offense is Texas Tech. I don't think this UGA offense is Clemson or mm-hmm. Ohio State or whatever. But I do think that this UGA offense is probably better than awful like yes and i and i think that there are a lot of sort of fake negative yardage yardage plays in that game with all the penalties i also think that there was some sloppy execution and mental mistakes from players that are probably better than they seemed and that the adjustments seemed to really work across even one game i really think that this this team can be okay at offense okay in Mm -hmm. the best possible way like i think they could score 28 to 30 points a game and do that without just relying on turnovers, right? And yeah, I'm not sure they're going to score 28 points in this game, but I do think that I, th- I would take the over. I think that's kind of a little low, unless you just think, if you were betting the under, you would just be thinking like, well, you know, Kirby Smart has sort of had Gus Malzahn's number, right? But if yeah. you, other than that, I don't know why you would take the under. So That would involve everybody going in that direction too. And I wanted to yeah. look at, I mean, Auburn's defense is no 21st yeah. ranked they're still they and have so, a lot of talent they have a really good linebacker owen popo almost went to georgia uh mm-hmm. they have some good young pieces on the defensive loin 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 loin, loin. <laughs> like that. Uh, uh defensive line but they you know they're replacing Derek brown they have big cat bryant back but they lost marlon davidson like so they have some pieces but i don't think that this is quite the world beater of a defensive line that it was last year mm-hmm. um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I, I think. I mean, the only way that that even happened because that's such a low point scored from like the only uh, way that I think that it happens and Georgia wins this game is that Georgia comes away with like twenty one, twenty four points, and then we keep Auburn to like ten or thirteen. And I just don't. Yeah, I mean, think that's gonna happen. I could see that. I have a little bit more faith in Chad Morris than that. I kind of feel mm-hmm. like Auburn's gonna score 14, 21 points, something like that, and that you it's gonna, yeah. UJ is gonna squeak it out. Now, um, I will go ahead and I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I definitely would say UGA does not cover in this game. 
They had a really mm-hmm. hardcore backdoor cover at the in the in the Arkansas game with that late field goal that got mm-hmm. waved off because of a flag, and then the flag got over to or the flag got uh, declined, and so they they covered on that field goal. Depending on what you got the number at, but I do not see an eight point. I do not see no. this as an eight point game. I could be so wrong. That leads to my next over under then UGA twenty one and a half points in this game. Twenty one and a half points. I'm going to say over. I think UGA is going to look bad on offense at times. I think Auburn is going to look bad on offense at times. I think Kevin Steele is a very good defensive coordinator. Um, I think that he knows how to have, he knows how to make a plan that is disruptive to um, disruptive to quarterbacks, you know, pretty much if, even if they are very experienced and we don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel like over, but you know, I think probably 23, 24 points is probably where I would put it at. The spread right now puts us at a seven point differential with UGA on top. Interesting as well. Um, what's your next one? Uh, over under 0.5 Bo Nix picks. Bo Nix picks. Uh, <laughs> I think he, I think that if we, if we win this game, it's going to because be because we shut the run game down like we discussed already and he does have to throw it through the air and if he's thrown through the air i'm hoping that we are playing well enough to get some picks i mean we're going to have to put pressure on him we're going to have to actually you know change momentum in that sense and i'm gonna have to say he'll probably at least get one right Gotta yeah be one i would say over as well oh we you yeah. didn't say what was your over under on the 21 and a half points uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna say under but right at 21 it's like a 21 21 16 game that we are 21 17 and we all hate ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right what did you say over you said over i said over i think you know and i'm mostly <sighs> saying that i will say for the drama of it all i but we'll see what i happens. still sort of think that this offense has the talent to hang 30 on somebody i oh, don't for sure i don't think it will be auburn i do think that there will be a game this season where UGA would probably win anybody, but UGA just rings somebody up because there is more talent on this offense than they have demonstrated. And if things just go, uh, like, I I still sort of think that the first half of the Arkansas game was sort of your, outside of losing, that first half of football was pretty much your worst case scenario. I, I, I have a hard time seeing that happen again. Now we could still lose this game, but I just think offensively, we're going to get somebody this year because I think Munkin is a very good coach. And I think that there is actually talent on this offense that it has not yet congealed and it probably won't be the Auburn game, but I could sing it. See us ring somebody up this year offensively. My last one, I want to go over under UGA 50% success rate on the game. Hmm. What was our success rate for the last one? Uh, not that good. It was, uh, yeah, it was, with, it was with, ben- with Bennett. Re- it was 50 with Bennett. It was 50, which is why I put it at 50 just to, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, and I know, like, this is, for me, success rate is one of the most important things, and that sh- it should be for any team. It's 37, but, and that's and a, 37 usually, and a half without him. Yeah, it's fairly indicative of whether or not a team's going to win if they win the success rate battle. Um, I think there was, like, one or two games last year where we did have a better success rate than the other team, but we still lost somehow. Um, just one game, right? I'm trying to think of, I don't remember. I mean, we, we lost the success rate battle, I think, against South Carolina. Or yes. we, we might have won it by a little bit and still lost. <laughs> the one that I put out of my head. Um, yeah. I drank so much wine after that. I went wine tasting. It was wonderful. Oh, I don't I don't blame you. It was a great time. Um, I'm, 50% is pretty, is stout. 
And I think this is going to be a tough game, a hard-won battle if we do win it, but I'm still going to say under. It can't be much more under, um, but it may be under, I think. I'm going to say over. What about you? Yeah. Um, I think that this team is going to lean into easy throws for whoever the quarterback is, and I think we're going to have a lot of, like, I do not expect this to be a particularly explosive game for us. No. Um, I think we're going to lean into just pitching and catching as much as we can. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to say over. So lead right, me what, into your, your, your big score prediction, your big, big, your beautiful picture. I feel like this Paint is a game a that we all end up hating ourselves because that's how Auburn games tend to go for people who watch them and care about them. I don't know that UGA covers. I get why people think that UGA covers, which is that basically UGA just strangles the life out of Auburn's offense. I sort of think that might happen. I think that Bo Nix will probably still get his. They have some very good Seth Williamson as a very good wide receiver. Um, so I feel like this is probably, I thought that the line initially was at eight points. You said you saw it at seven points. Yeah, it's at seven now. I think it'll probably get lower too. It'll get lower. Yeah. I would, to me, this feels like Auburn 24, UGA 28. If it, I could also see like UGA 28, Auburn 21. I think that's probably why those seven point lines are there. Um, because I just, I feel like if this is a, if this is a, a big game, um, if, if this is a, a, a seven point win for Georgia, it will be exactly a seven point win. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, I have a lot of faith in our defense and I think that that's where this number comes from. But I, even though I think that there is a lot of sort of, you know, I think there's a certain amount of like betting the first half team total on Georgia for points scored would be actually a pretty good bet if you were going to live bet this game because I bet it would be really low. And I actually think between turnovers and non-offensive touchdowns and just like UJ's offense not being quite as bad as people think it is that there's actually some money to be made on this offense right now because I think it's it's actually pretty talented and it was pretty close in the first half to having a better game than it did. There were a couple of penalties, a couple of just like people fall down a couple of just like slide when you should have dived like kind of things. And, you know, UGA could be feeling much differently about that Arkansas game than they did. I, I still feel like we're going to basically hate ourselves into the third quarter and it's going to be like every mm-hmm. other Auburn game has been recently where it'll be low scoring and annoying. And then, oh, yeah. And, and see, this is what I think. And what I'm about to say is real stupid. It, it's going to sound <laughs> really stupid. So I, it's hard to imagine Auburn blowing Georgia out just because I feel like the defense is pretty good. If UGA shuts down Auburn's offense, which I think there's a decent chance, or at least limits it, Auburn has enough holes in their defense that I think that there's a decent chance, and if you were really went looking to swing for the fences, um, there's a decent chance that, uh, that Georgia, if not blows out Auburn, that they beat them comfortably. Because I do think that the best unit on the field in this game is UGA's defense. And I don't think it's that close. I think Auburn's offense and defense are both improving, but I do think that this is a game where UGA will probably either, I know what I'm about to say is really stupid. Like UGA is either going to win or lose close or they're going to blow out Auburn. Um, And I guess what I'm saying is that like, to me, this feels like a pretty high variance game. I feel like if you are UGA's offense, if you, if we come to this game in the first quarter and we just start scoring points, like if we score 14 points in the first quarter, you feel pretty good about it because I just don't know that anyone, much less an Auburn team that is going through an offensive coordinator transition and has had some difficulties at running back, is going to really boat race this UGA team. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that all sounded like pretty obvious, but I just feel like 
the 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 bell curve of of ah, bell curve the bell curve ah, of, you said the, it. Bell, the bell curve of outcomes on this game the center of the bell curve is like right over like a close UGA win and the tail of mm-hmm. this game is probably closer to like UGA wins by 14 than it is to UGA loses by 14 so i think this is a game that is won on not necessarily on the ground but in our running back core i think this is a game that uh you know we started to see some weird things try a- attempt to develop um, in our running back core this past game. We saw some some lightning come out of Zemir White. Um, and also Kentucky put up 145 rushing yards on this Auburn team. So we have a better running back core than Auburn, or than Kentucky, than Auburn too, but definitely Kentucky. And I just feel like that's going to, that's going to have to be what happens. Um, it's, you know, we're all going to be couch offensive coordinators on Saturday like we all were this past Saturday, um, you know, and trying to be our own Mike Bobo somewhere deep in our hearts, um, trying to run the ball. But I think we're going to see a lot of unique things out of our, our, our running backs as time goes on more. So we're going to see them used in unique ways. We're going to see the tight ends used in more unique ways. You said it earlier too. And this is something that I've been thinking, um, that it's, this is going to be a game. If it's one through the air, it's going to be through short, precise passes. If not that, then we're going to have to just continue to run the ball as much as possible, (laughs) but not just, as we've done in past years, it's going to have to be uh, using our offensive line properly, um, using screens properly. Um, it's not just going to be the inside, um, the inside zone reads and everything. So um, I think that's how we win it. And once we run the, once we establish a running game like that and establish our running back core as being the dominant offense on this field, I, then I think that we may see one or two explosive passes through the air to somebody. And that'll be super exciting. But um, I originally thought this was a lot closer. I think this is going to be a bit um, tighter than we want, just like you said, but I think it's going to be a UGA 28 to Auburn 20 win is what I hope. So you got you got to cover here. Yeah, it's going to, yeah. I went I went back and forth a lot, and I think that was even um, evident in my... Uh, yeah, the notes. Writers, the notes, okay. you, 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 yeah. you flip back and forth a lot on the notes. Yeah, I, I mean, do, I, I develop... I think this is a game that in a vacuum UGA should win. I think that there is a lot of uncertainty in the outcome because of UGA's problems on offense. I think that UGA probably wins on the back of just a suffocating defensive performance and how annoying this is has to do with how far along the offense comes. Auburn is a team that is in reload mode. And, you know, I think Bonix is a better quarterback than I usually make fun of him for being. But he is, in many ways, you know, he he will still make he will still make some mistakes. I think that those are both pretty. Both of those uh, predictions feel like pretty much of a piece with how I expect the game to go. Although I don't know how much success UGA is going to have running the ball because I think we're going to just like throw to get people out of the box because you can yeah. see that the initial the initial plan um, on Saturday was for us to run the ball a lot more, and then when we put mm-hmm. Stetson in, we were just like, screw it, we're going to throw on first down, and I feel yeah, like yeah, but. That's, That's what I'm trying to say. Like, success. I don't think it's going to be what I'd like to see in this new, this brand new offense that we're trying to create and develop. I'd like to see the running backs used in in more unique ways, um, being thrown to the running backs, you know, multiple running backs in that sort of thing, more screens. Oh. Um, I, I was just going to say that is another way to to remove guys from the box and to to mix up what's going on in the box itself. And so, yeah, um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, we got a lot you- of talent back there. If you want to see how we think that that might break down, again, to come back to this for the third time during this this episode, 
you should watch that video of the chapel or the battle hymnal, which is also on the chapel bell curve uh, podcast account. So mm-hmm. let's go into our favorite section, uh, our favorite segment yes. of every our section. What am I doing right now? <laughs> our, our favorite, favorite se- segment, our favorite segment of every week. Hashtag ask CBC. We have a lot of yep. listener questions. We have a lot we of do. questions from our discord. This is a good time to point out that if you're on our discord, not only you're supporting a good cause, the dogs for pups initiatives to help students in Clark County, you also get access to live recording, which is way stupider than it sounds. Anyway, it's not stupid of you to do it, but it'll, it's just funny because we are way stupider than you think that we are. So to be leading industry <laughs> experts, to be, to be the, the luminaries of this. I journalist. am the leading industry expert. Yeah. The leading industry experts of this like August. And I mean, you know, Justin is about to get his journalism degree, but at this point, like, I feel like you could just give us both Northwestern, uh, just honoring <laughs> Northwestern degrees. We are capital you know, J journalists. And if things change next week for week five, you better believe I'm going to to roll with. I am the week four leading industry expert. <laughs> You're damn right you are. All right. That's correct. Okay. Our very first question comes from Adam H. And all it was was, I mean, what the... And that came in like right after uh, the game ended, I think. So, what the... I Yeah. Look, I... <laughs> Offensive success yeah. depends on offensive success depends on a lot of things, and all of those things did not work for Georgia in the first half. And it's not usually like this. Yeah, and I know that sounds like I'm kind. Of, that's like a homer take, but it's actually hard for it to be as bad as it was. Like you're not going to have a hundred yards of penalties in the first quarter next next week. We hope you're not going to have like three drive killing penalties on your first four offensive drives. Like, I, you know, it just doesn't feel very likely that that sort of perfect storm is going to happen again. Brobroma is actually how it's pronounced, isn't it? Brobroma? Yeah. I I've so. always seen it as Brobama, and that's actually how I've written and, it. In but my anyway. head, I just imagine it's Barack Obama with like a trucker cap and a national. <laughs> but it is Brobama. Uh, what differences in scheme do you expect to see if JT is the starter and in general based on Auburn's past Kevin Steele defenses? Okay. Uh, well, so Auburn traditionally runs a four-two-five nickel. That's their like their base is actually nickel. Um, they they don't run like a cloud defense, but they run. Uh, well, let me rephrase. Kevin Steele has run a lot of even set defenses. So four down linemen, um, their defensive ends slash outside linebackers tend to be more of your old school hand in the hand in the dirt defensive end. Last year there was a much hullabaloo because they ran a three-one-seven uh, like a, a base quarters defense against LSU. I doubt that they're going to do that for us. I'm imagining they're going to run four, two, five base because they want six men in the box at all times. You know, they're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. They're going to play press man coverage on us is what I would imagine. I think that mm-hmm. UJ has not proven enough offensively that anyone is going to do other, anything other than put six or seven in the box at least, and then run press man single. Um, to me, what that means is that you're going to see a lot of slants. Um, you know, we're going to try go to try to go over those linebackers heads or, you know, um, pick some get some inside leverage on outside wide receivers we're gonna you're gonna see a lot of digs you're gonna see a lot of like uh hitch or comeback or sit or whatever whatever you want to call it just sort of um it it was a it was a route concept that we ran a lot against arkansas where you would just have it where you would just have a um a wide receiver just sort of sit down in a in a zone now if they're gonna run um man we're not gonna see quite as many of that of those but i do think that like what you've seen people do a lot against Georgia is either run press van or they go, they flip into doing like, sometimes you call it three cloud or like basically like just zone across the board. And if I, if we see a lot of zone and they're in four two five a lot of time in zone, I think you'll see a lot of those 
digs and sits. And if they're in man, I think you're going to see some more like uh, option tree concepts. Uh, there's this LSU concept that I talked about a lot. It was from the Saints originally called Lucy. It's like basically an option double move slant uh, pass. And uh, it, it's really good when you have an inside wide receiver, like, I don't know, Darnell Washington, who I think is a man on um, on a linebacker, which I think will sometimes happen. So I expect to see a lot of high percentage throws, um, mm-hmm. a lot of throws that kind of try to take advantage of gaps in zone coverage in the middle of the field. And then if they're going to run press man, I suspect that we will see a lot of like wide receiver screens or double moves or just like downfield shots um, just to see what we can do with that. Uh, now, if JT Daniel starts, I think you'll see a lot more downfield shots than you would if Hudson, uh, Hudson Mason, Jesus, uh, every <laughs> Georgia quarterback is the same. <laughs> then if Stetson starts, um, Stetson is a little bit limited in arm strength. Um, you know, he's kind of short for a college starting quarterback and he doesn't have quite the cannon that, um, somebody like JT does, but if JT starts, I expect that you will see, you know, we were running sort of like multi vertical concepts, whether you want to call that four verts or like three vert unders or whatever, uh, like drag vert drag post kind of concepts on Saturday. Um, that is sort of the core of this offense. Uh, you can all spread, you can call air raid, whatever you want is that, you know, if you see single high safety, which if they are going to try to stop the run, which I think they will, um, if you see single high safety in this offense, you're going to see a lot of like four dudes just running down the field. And, you know, that's where that, that is the concept out of which we got that big gain on the, the one minute drill at the half, uh, to Darnell Washington. That was just like a little, I guess like skinny post from uh, Darnell Washington where he just basically ran down the ran down one hash and then ran over to the other hash around about 10 yards um, out from the line of scrimmage. So I expect to see a lot of verticality. I expect to see a lot of uh, sort of like zone beater dig routes and or like crossing pattern routes. I I really think that the core of the offense is going to be much different than we're used to it. A lot, a lot fewer like West coast timing routes, a lot fewer uh, over the shoulder throws to like on go routes. You know, Todd Munkin likes to use the middle of the field when he has somebody who has the arm strength to do it. And he clearly thought that Stetson Bennett had the arm strength to do it. So if we have JT Daniels in, I suspect that you're going to see something a lot closer to sort of like 2011 Oklahoma State than what we're used to seeing. And I think part of that comes from right now, UGA's offensive line and last year as well is just not run blocking very well. And even when we are run blocking well, we have such crowded numbers in the box that you know, it's dumb to run into it. So I kind of feel like this is going to be a game where UGA has to prove and earn the ability that, to run, right? You're, you're going to have to open up the middle of the field a little bit. Um, you're going to have to have some linebackers dropping before you can run. And, and I think that, you know, Munkin has some very interesting run concepts in this offense, but I think that we will probably still throw it 60% of the time because I think that's just what the offense is now. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to spend like 10 minutes on that one question. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> like it. Okay. It's okay. I like it. So uh, next questions come from Abby, stage manager for life. Uh, what should the nickname of our new kicker be? Our new kicker's name is Jack Podlesny, you know, to his friends, Jack Podlesny. We had Hot Rod. He was kind of the, the Rod God, I think was the joke. And now we could have, I mean, it's another, it's more of the same naming conventions, really. Pod God, Pod Rod God, Rod Pod God. Or maybe we just, <laughs> I think that we should make him a full name guy, Jack Podlesny. Like you never say, like he's the, he's that counselor you knew in summer camp. Um, you can never say his name without saying all of his name. All right. So bear with me here. I sort of hate Game of Thrones, but the best part about Game of Thrones, the, the TV show is definitely mm-hmm. Podrick Payne, who is Tyrion. Oh, 100%. Tyrion Lannister's, um, Tyrion Lannister's squire. 
who canonically in the in the show and in the books canonically has a big dick. So I think mm-hmm. we should just call him Big Dick Jack. Um, <laughs> not 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 like just a really like a you want to build a guy's confidence up, right? And mm-hmm, B, mm-hmm. he kind of reminds me of Podrick Payne because no one knows how to pronounce his name and he's very quiet, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. Very humble. Yeah, with the gifts he's, a he's been guy. given. Yeah. And, you know, um, I don't want, I, we don't have time to unpack of all of the sort of like inherent misogyny in Game of Thrones and the scene that we're referring to specifically, but I do feel There's like plenty you know, of it. You got to just lean on the Podrick Payne nickname. Either that or some kind of like, some kind of like uh, Jack. Like Jack Nicholson slash Jack Nicholas reference, like the red bear, because Jack Nicholas was the golden bear or whatever. Something to do with Jack. <laughs> I don't know. I do like hot Second pod. Question. Hot, pod hot pod is pod. very good. Hot pod. The hottest of pods. Uh, second question is, what's your favorite cocktail to make? What you uh, like over there? This is much more a you question than a me question. It depends on the situation. I mean, there's a cocktail for any, any occasion, really. Well, what's your real. favorite one to physically make? To physically make? Um, yeah probably an old fashioned i like making old fashions i make it very specifically i like the way i make it and i i rarely like the way anybody else makes it uh i think that old fashioned should not be entirely made in the glass uh wow and that is a controversial thing to it say is. i think it should be made in a shaker in the smaller half um, i think you should shake it and double strain it and then you put your uh your lemon essence around the rim um and garnish it inside but a lot of people just put all that shit in there and muddle it all together and then they stir it up with some ice and you just get like lukewarm whiskey with a bunch of shit in it and i don't i don't care for it cocktail that is my favorite and it is sort of my favorite to make uh which is there's a lot of word names for this but like i like a whiskey ginger with good ginger and lemon and i have a very specific way that i make it like i put lemon uh lemon juice in the whiskey and stir that and then i add sort of like float the ginger ale on top of it and then i do lemon zest and our lemon essence Mm. like a lemon twist you know like twist the oil out of the the lemon peel yeah i really like how i really like how ginger ale and i really like how lemon smell and if i'm getting wild i might do like honey simple syrup in it too um and i just those are like my three favorite smells like lemon honey and ginger and so like that is um that is by far what it is like synesthetically like my favorite by far cocktail mm. to be around do you have uh, a poem that best describes your emotions during the uga arkansas game yeah i do actually um this Always. poem is called is by john o'donohue he's an irish poet he was a um a priest but he was also a philosopher um he was like he has like one of my uh favorite sort of life stories in that he was um he just was sort of a guy who lived in a cottage in the middle of like beautiful scenic Ireland and wrote about philosophy and like traditional Irish life for like 50 years and wrote really good poems and then died. And like, this is like, I don't know. I feel like that that is like my aspirational life or whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't really want to be a priest, but anyway, he has this poem called, this is the time to be slow, <laughs> which he does not mean this in the way that I'm about to use it. And this is one of my favorite poems for hard times, which the first half of Arkansas was definitely a hard time. Uh, and it goes like this. This is the time to be slow. Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes, the first half. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good, and you will feel your feet again on the fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginning. So kind of feel like that sort of like uh, 
transition from doubt and darkness into light and generosity and good times is what we're all hoping that the was sort of like the symbolic microcosm of or that the, the Arkansas game becomes a, a symbol for that transition. John O'Donohue mm-hmm. is a great poet. I highly recommend if you're having a hard time during this like insane year that you read a John O'Donohue poem and or book uh, to bless the space between us. Well worth your time. Check it out. He has a poem called uh, For Those Who Are Weary. It's way too long to read right here. It's a beautiful poem for when you're just emotionally exhausted. Check it out. <laughs> Um, last question is what has been your favorite sports related commercial you've seen so far this season, which is important for you since this is the, really the first season that you've been able to sit and watch, um, from the start. So did you have one? I like it's, you know, we use YouTube TV, so it's like the same 15 commercials Mm -hmm. over and over again. I will say my favorite commercial moment so far was that we were watching the game with the radio audio because Josh is an amazing, uh, production engineer and professional film guy. I'm sure there's a better term for it than professional film guy, but that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> um, we had the radio audio and there was a moment when uh, there was a Geico commercial on the TV and over it was a bail bonds commercial. And it was like, uh, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the inherent corruption of the American post-capitalist state mm, all at once. Uh, but, oh, you know what? I actually don't hate the Nissan Heisman house commercials it, to, it, to give a really sincere fun. answer. Yeah, I don't hate those. that. And also, who was it? It was a John Stamos commercial that really cracked oh, me up. I think it was yeah. a Geico John Stamos commercial. Yeah, yeah, that one was very good. Yeah, that was the one that the Bail Bonds thing was over. And so it was like my hair is so oh, soft beautiful. at the same time when it was like. Also, the all the PSAs on the radio about like drive drunk and get pulled over really crack me up because they're still running those from a time when people like went outside during football games or whatever. <laughs> Someone's still paying for these. Irk Russell. Happy to see Stetson Bennett get his time to shine yesterday. Do you think they will have to, or they will push to have JTD cleared for the game this week? Yes. Well, they yeah, did. we already have an answer That's for that question. Today. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Chris D in London, which is his full name on Discord, and I love that. Uh, I had forgotten quite how good Kirby Smart is at making changes at halftime, and there's no doubt the second half was dramatically better than the first. How would you compare the halftime change in this game against other remarkable halftime changes such as versus Auburn in 2016, Oklahoma in 2017, or Notre Dame last year? I think that the, the biggest thing that differentiates this from previous changes is that it was, A, I think they, one of the things I said on the Battle Hymnal was that I feel like the Stetson Bennett game plan was basically just the JTD game plan but just for Stetson Bennett so you know schematically they made some changes but I really think the thing that separates those is that this wasn't just like a approach change adjustment this was like four new starters on the offensive line and it Mm -hmm. paid off right you move Trey Hill to guard you bring in Warren Eric I think Warren Erickson was at center for most of the second half seemed like he had a pretty good half only had one low snap that I remember um, you take Justin Schaefer out, you put in, I think, Owen Condon. I think Owen Condon was in the whole time. So basically like wholesale offensive line change. I That is heartening because it shows an inaction. It's an inaction sort of um, example of Kirby's overall philosophy that the best players play. And I feel like a lot of a lot of coaches say that the best players play, but they are so small C conservative that they would rather play people they think are slightly less good, but won't mess things up. And it was clear that at halftime Kirby was pretty much like, we're going to just play the people who we think can play well. And you know, something that, that Graham said on Sunday was that before you get under the lights, you never really know how a player is going to play. And some players are bad practice players, but good game players and some players are vice versa. And, and I thought you saw a willingness to adjust personnel 
that has not always been present at UGA in general, right? Definitely, this was a Mark Rick problem. Like, just playing the same three defensive backs in Willie Martinez's no-defense-defensive scheme, um, even when we were losing. So so I liked that. that and I, I think that was the real... You know, I, I think Auburn, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, those were all sort of like, let's execute better and let's change this game plan up. But those were all late enough in the year that you pretty much knew who your personnel was. This was actually mm-hmm. kind of ballsy because you were, you know, down at halftime to a team that was supposed to be bad. So I think the the sort of like easy answer would have been to like stick to the game plan. And I actually kind of respect that they were just like, nah, screw that. We're going to have like five new people starting when we come back out. Kyle Sargent asks, Let's say you know you were going to win a game. Would you rather A, start sluggish and come back and win, or B, come out of the gates hot and then almost blow it? Justin, what do you think? I would prefer to start sluggish and come back to win each and every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't, I don't have as much of a bad taste in my mouth, right? You get that backdoor cover. You watch LSU lose, so nobody's talking about... Like, LSU losing to Mississippi State is probably the best thing that happened to my psyche this year. Or uh, this mm-hmm. this week because it mean it meant that I didn't have to deal with all the BS from everybody on Twitter for very long, you know. Mm. Um, and also just get off of Twitter. Twitter sucks. Yeah, man. Uh, that, that was me <laughs> talking to myself. <laughs> that was me talking to me. That yeah, was me I gassing think, you up. I think B definitely. What's his second mm-hmm. question here? A meteor is hurtling towards Earth and could take out either A your two most hated football teams or B your one most hated mega corporation. Which would you choose? Discuss. I mean, mega corporation. Omega Corporation, one hundred percent. Have you listened the uni- to the show before? Yeah, the University of Florida <laughs> has made, has as a as an institution made some great contributions to medical science. And all mega corporations have ever done is take money that they didn't deserve from people who did the work to earn it. Hashtag, I, I don't mind being called a socialist. <laughs> I was going to say it, but you said it first. Uh, third question, stupid and final, is what he says. Next question comes from Josh Dogstats. I think he was actually copying and pasting this from Ryan Clark asking, is Major Burns the best name on our team this year? All right. I feel uh, like you have a lot of opinions about this, so I'm going to just let you run with this one. I was actually, yeah, I was in the, the recording session before you were earlier, and so I just went through the roster like three or four times. The first time I just looked, the second time I said many of the names out loud, and there are many, many good names, but um, it, it, it really depends on... I know. <laughs> sometimes it feels good to say you know the the way a a word feels in your mouth and i know you can relate to that yeah um but it depends on how you define best is it like best worst or like best like yes like major burns is by far just like the probably one of my favorite names other than maybe like Payne walker they have the same feel to them um so does nazir stackhouse like three just like big dudes that you don't want to mess with and then like kind of like the the Benny Hill style goofy kind of uh goober lad McConkey. <laughs> Just a very good name. And then uh the most unfortunate name that I th- I think back whenever I hear someone's name and I'm I like I have like a pang of uh like fear and anxiety for them back in like middle school like what did kids call you? What did other middle schoolers call you? I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um this this like very vague award goes to Braxton Hicks. Mm. Uh, a freshman wide receiver mm-hmm. and such an unfortunate um moment for braxton but i hope you own it braxton those are my feelings you are I, a big fan of tate ratledge though tate ratledge is like if you ever want to laugh at something there's another podcast called my brother my brother and me and they have this bit <laughs> about the 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 word tit liquid the words tit liquid and uh being like a republican senator candidate or whatever and he that just <laughs> tate ratledge just reminds me of somebody who would run like 
a golf cart repair emporium and like yes. that did like six other things like they sell golf carts but they also have like a mini golf course and uh-huh. so i like that my my two favorite <laughs> on the team i'm always looking for like an ass whipping name like like the name of someone who sounds like that they're from like that like they're from some tiny town and are just like really good at like bare knuckle fighting like a name that i think would be a dude who was on letter kenny and those two i think are darnell washington and uh broderick jones those just sound like two dudes who would like get in a fist fight. And I'm sure they're not, but you know, I, I love both of those names. <laughs> uh, next questions come from Hodges. Is Trey Hill finished at the center? I think we may have seen the last of the errant snapper. Does McClendon start at right tackle going forward? So I want, I want to give proper attribution to this take. Nick uh-huh. Toomey, who we've already mentioned once, really cool guy, really smart guy, knows a lot about football, sent me this big message on Twitter after the game about how like, he thinks that Trey Hill's ass is too big to play center. Like he's literally (laughs) bouncing the ball off of his ass when he snaps it and he goes, and there's an errant snap. And I went back and looked at a couple of his errant snaps and I think he might be right. (laughs) So yes, I I, I think he's probably too good of a player to keep off the field. He probably is, is going to replace Schaefer at guard too thick. Um, and, or that, that, that is too thick for this. I think, I think probably that you're going to see Warren McClendon at, um, or not Warren McClendon. Um, uh, Warren Erickson at center from now on. All right. Good. Um, that actually runs into the next question. If Hill moves to guard, who do you start among Hill, Cleveland, Schaefer? Schaefer played pretty poorly yesterday with at least one hold and another that should have been called on the Zeus touchdown run. I feel like, yeah, Schaefer's probably the odd man out there. I, I think Ben Cleveland had some good moments in, pa- in, in, in run blocking, and I feel like that that's where they'll go. And then finally, does Bennett's have a bad habit of staring down receivers, or am I just imagining that? <laughs> Um, less so than Dwan Mathis. Uh, yeah. Bennett was, Bennett was decisive. So even if he was staring guys down, I saw on, I think this was on rivals today. They had a, the, in their little stats report, they had this thing about how like, um, Bennett was releasing the ball about a second faster than Mathis. So mm-hmm. he might've been staring his receivers down a little bit, which, you know, a better defense is going to make you pay for that. Um, but he was getting the ball out on time, which I think was the, really the big issue with Mathis. And next one comes from My God, a podcast, which is another podcast you should listen to. Uh, longtime listeners of ours, a couple of funny fellas. Uh, was Munkin just trolling us by running inside zone on the first play of the game? <laughs> I mean... His, his own joke. I never I never varied from the idea that inside zone works and the, the read option works when the quarterback actually keeps it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Stetson Bennett kept it on a read option. And so now I am happy and I'm no longer bad at the inside zone. I don't know if it was a troll or if it was just the fact that everyone and their mother re- runs inside zone. Uh, very last question. DC Dog. What's up with James Cook? Get him in space or don't use him at all. He played poorly. So which is it? Did he play poorly or was he used poorly? That's my added piece there at the end. I think he played fine. He had a couple of good blocks. I don't think that he found a lot of room on the inside. I don't love running him inside, but I also think if he runs if he runs a flare out or he is a, a, a decoy or a blocker on every play he's in the game then you can't use him as a running back you have to run him inside at some point now he didn't have a lot mm-hmm. he didn't do a lot with those opportunities and i do think that you know we're going to see more of white as the year goes on but i think that james cook probably has more to do with the whole offense playing poorly than him personally playing poorly yeah he had some bad plays but i, I don't i'm not giving up on him and there's a weird thing where some mm-hmm. people are and i don't understand that um, do you want to like run people down the, I know you have better copy on this than I do. And you're leading this initiative. Do you want to run people down on what we're doing our, with our Patreon before we get out of here? Yeah, I would love to. So, um, 
yeah, we, uh, we've mentioned a few times, you may have already heard about it, the Dogs for Pups initiative. Um, this season, all the proceeds from our show are actually going to be donated straight to the Dogs for Pups campaign, which is a student-led campaign organized by the UGA football team in an effort to bring equal access in the education of all athens Clark County school students, all of whom are participating in 100% online virtual learning right now um, until an indefinite date, which there have been some dates that have been thrown out, um, but it will not be all students. It will be on a need basis, and it'll be in phases as time goes on, and so we'll see. But donations will help support the more than 1,000 families in Clark County who do not have the internet access needed for online learning, is what my ad copy was. However, today, um, Athens Community Foundation announced that uh, they were able to reach the dollar amount, which is $75,000 for this initiative, which covers wireless access for the whole year for every student, which is incredible. And as of today, uh, if I was looking at it correctly, um, at the end of the month, we will have donated Chapel Bell Curve from listeners will have donated more than $600 um, straight to the campaign. So um, it's huge. You guys have responded incredibly. Um, I am floored by the uh, the outpouring of support from everybody. Um, I got many texts, many calls, um, many nice messages and tweets. Um, it was a weird, scary thing for me to do. Uh, just open our, our season with a 15-minute statement about how we didn't agree with the thing this entire show is built on. So um, I really appreciate everybody saying what they did. And I hope that you found some sort of comfort in um, our discomfort, um, because I'm finding a lot of comfort in the shared discomfort that uh, the outpouring of support has shown me. So I appreciate it. But Athens Community Foundation will continue. They're going to create new initiatives. Um, There are some, some talks of them partnering with the Northeast Georgia Food Bank to continue to provide food uh, to those families that need it most. Uh, You know, in the fall months and the winter months, especially November and December, it's especially hard for families to get all the food that they may need. Um, The holidays are always tough, very tight. And so it'll be something that'll be very, very much appreciated, I know, from those families that need it most. And so just so you know, your money will still continue going to that initiative uh, this season and we'll keep you up with the numbers. That's what I got for that. Maybe. Hey, guys, I have late breaking news. Late we're breaking going to add a segment in right now because I just, oh, I just found this message. It is time for the first, the first yearly edition of the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine what gives you diabetes. TM, 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 TM. TM. So the man today's, himself. Today's, uh, today's question from James Bearfield, risen from his risen from his off-season slumber he has he is he was fatted for the for the winter and he is he is now slender in the in the spring thaw he is back to bring us this excellent excellent (laughs) question his question is and this is a very nathan and justin question so get ready in the clone wars the arc where yoda learns to be a force ghost it depicts it as being very difficult to become one so why was everyone and their mother a force ghost in the rise of skywalker (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the answer is and i don't know if he did this just to get me to yell about it the answer is that jj abrams is a bad director and that movie is bad oh. and they should feel bad nathan i was just gonna say yoda wrote it down oh yeah sure yoda probably <laughs> no, you're wrote absolutely it down. right i could do an entire podcast on how bad listen oh. i don't know if you've been bugging samantha and i's house but like samantha cannot talk about star wars because she hates that movie so much like that yep. movie is, aside from Raylo being Star canon, it's first off, Raylo is Skywalker. canon. Raylo is canon. They can't take it away from us. But other than that, 
that movie is trash and that's why i will say the clone wars might be like the best it is it's one of the better star wars project period it's very interesting how good how well that that show has aged yeah and, and i don't want to they just released more much, clone wars too I, like just a shocking lack of creativity in the resuscitation of Palpatine, and like, Ugh. and and look, I don't even I, we don't even have the time to unpack all of this, but I would I actually my sort of like big brain theory about the Star Wars sequels, or specifically in terms of J.J. Um, uh, Abrams, is that so when the sequels before the Force Awakens came out, they they made all of the novels legend canon, right? Which is that the novels didn't happen. They were just legends about what happened after Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. The Force Awakens and the Rise of Skywalker actually contain some very distinct components of the legends canon, um, but they've been like sort of shoved together in weird ways that don't really work for how they were intended. If you mm-hmm. want to talk about this more, you can listen to my podcast called The Original 52, which is a which is me taking every Star Wars novel, uh, novel by novel, and taking <laughs> talking about it in the Legends canon. That's not real, but that's I not wish real. It was. Um, I would love to do that with you, though. I, I would this, absolutely. This is the thing, though. Ryan Johnson and people. This is where people are. Like they're like J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson. It seems are one is the better than the other. I am of the thought that Ryan Johnson is a brilliant director who did his research and work and he found all those things he needed in the star wars legend uh compendium and he was going to he he left a bunch of open-ended questions for whoever the next and director was J. going J. to be Abrams to answer them just J. shit J. all over it he's yes. like no that's dumb i hate it it's too weird nope anyway so this has been chapel bell curve clearly uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are nominally a stats focused uh podcast about uga football in 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 so many words uh, if you liked what you heard here today, you can follow us on Twitter at Chapel Bell Curve. You can follow me on Twitter at Nathan J. Lawrence. Uh, you can follow Justin on Twitter at the Justin Bray. If you'd like to follow our companion uh, media empire over at the Battle Hymnal, which is our <laughs> video live stream, you can follow us at the Battle Hymnal on Twitter. And you can follow our two other hosts, Graham, Graham and Josh, at Dog Underscore Stats and Dogs Out West, Dog Out West. If you want to become a part of an amazing uh, community and support a very good cause, as Justin was talking about, you can go on Patreon and for $1 a month, you can become a member of our Discord server. It is a great place to be. You get to live listen to all the recordings. You get first dibs on any questions that you might have. And you also get to watch the games with us, which let me tell you is a, a, a hell of a time. It's we a Buckwild catch- experience. It is a Buckwild experience. We will also play Among Us with you if you want. We will play party games. You can watch us play Magic the Gathering or other video games online. We will catch you this weekend in the Classic City or Parts Unknown. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>